Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the second day of September now, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall. Let's start off our look back with a bit of a twist, because we've heard some of it before, even to the point of nausea now. But maybe that's all the more reason to pay close attention. And that's especially true when it comes to stuff they're trying to focus your attention on so that you don't notice the other stuff. So here's a primary example. We'll do this one quickly because, yeah, we've all heard it before. There's a video up online recorded in New York City Monday morning showing the New York Police Department and their propaganda-equipped cars that are scrolling a marquee on top of their roof lights telling people, do your part, stay six feet apart. Good grief. On then next to the smoke that surrounds a very real fire in Hawaii. And parts of this, folks, would almost be funny if they weren't so deadly and satanically tragic. Here's one of them from the Gateway Pundit, which focuses on the humorous aspect, if there is such a thing. The cause of the catastrophic wildfires that killed thousands of people, many of them not yet even admitted openly, has reportedly, says the government of Maui County at least, been identified. But problem is, in the process, it completely blows up the far-left socialist, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, etc., climate change narrative. Oops. Maybe they'll just have to console themselves with buying land for pennies on the dollar from dead people. Fox News is reporting it, too. Officials in Maui said the fires were caused by, drumroll please, downed power lines and failures by the state's main power utility company, socialist run as it is, to do anything even remotely reasonable like maintain their system. Due to these facts, it says, the government of Maui County, Hawaii, has filed a lawsuit against the Hawaii Electric Company and its subsidiaries for neglecting, some would say fatally, to properly power down live electrical equipment and power lines amid a red flag windstorm earlier this month, which they say when the improperly maintained lines went down anyway and started fires in grasslands caused, well, at least part of the problem. And as Zero Hedge notes in their coverage, there's a whole lot of questions you're not seeing answered here, like, did they have help? And trivial things like, why'd they block the roads and shut off the warning systems, too? But isn't this interesting, and I guess not that surprising, Hawaiian Electric Industries Incorporated surged as much as 43%, says the piece from Zero Hedge, in pre-market trading in New York Monday morning, after the utility released their statement that the power lines were de-energized for more than six hours in Lahaina when the afternoon fire broke out on August 8th that eventually leveled the resort town in West Maui. Said their CEO, we were surprised and disappointed when the county of Maui rushed to court even before completing its own investigation. And added Sheila Kimura, president and CEO of Hawaiian Electric, we believe the complaint is factually and legally irresponsible. Hey, that at least makes it consistent with everything else we're seeing today, folks, doesn't it? It is inconsistent, she said, with the path that we believe we should pursue as a resilient community, committed and accountable to each other as well as to a wise future, blah de blah de blah Unfortunately, the county's lawsuit may leave us no choice in the legal system but to show its responsibility for what happened that day. But the key, they believe, is that the Hawaiian Electric Company outlined what they called important facts about August 8th. The fire at 6.30 a.m., the morning fire, appears to have been caused by power lines that fell in high winds. And then, and i got to admit, this is telling, the Maui County, hmm, isn't that the same county government, fire department responded to the fire and declared that it was 100% contained. And later, after they left the scene, declared it had been extinguished. 
And then about 3.30 p.m., a time when all of Hawaii's electric power lines, they say, in West Maui had been de-energized for more than six hours, the second fire, they call this one the afternoon fire, began in the same area. And the cause for that afternoon fire has, say it with me, folks, not been determined. And given the story I'm going to go to next, I'd suggest don't hold your breath. And I will add one other observation here. When everybody's responsible and everybody points a finger at everybody else and there's a lot of smoke besides, isn't it usually the case that nobody ends up getting held to blame? Hmm, that at least would be consistent too. But by Tuesday, the smoke and the uh, obvious cover-up, I say that because of what we're going to talk about now, had gotten even thicker. The Gateway Pundit, WorldNet Daily, and others are talking about a mysterious black curtain that's appeared. If you think back to how they covered up the rigged voting during the 2020 election, and then later on they used it again, you kind of got an idea what we're talking about here. Oh, yes, there are walls, all right. It's just that one of them is not going to be allowed to happen on the southern border. The mysterious black curtain, says the Gateway Pundit's coverage by Anthony Scott, and special police they put that in quotes, have been spotted around Maui's Ground Zero. Jeff Cygnus has reported a massive black curtain. He's got the video as well. that stretches all along Lahaina in West Maui. As he stopped his vehicle to record the curtain on film, he was immediately approached by members of the National Guard and told, keep moving. The volunteer reporter also noted that he'd seen special police standing guard to ensure, quote, that nothing can be documented. He also noted that around the perimeter of that black curtain, quote, you can't stop in your car, you can't pull over, you can't fly a drone, you can't take a picture, you can't get anywhere near any of this. But at least some of the video is up. It's already being called, said Rollnet Daily, the Biden curtain. There's an ironic title. As new videos from Lahaina reveal miles of black curtain erected to prevent people from seeing what's happening at the original site of the latest attack on American citizens in Hawaii. And I guess with all of this coming out, finally, it's fair to note that a lot of people in Hawaii who had their homes destroyed are kind of upset because illegals are getting 2200 bucks a month or so, it's being reported, for the crime of invading the country. And they were only offered 700 bucks total for having lost everything. And some of them, their children and wives and family included. No wonder Big Brother put up a black curtain. And if there's anything, folks, nastier and more likely to raise suspicion than putting up a black curtain, well, I guess maybe you'd have to ask, could it be what's behind it that you're not allowed to see? On to this piece from naturalnews.com and Lance D. Johnson, and it tells us something you're probably not going to hear from the three-letter communist news networks. Over 2,400. What? That's almost two and a half times the official number missing, and about 20 times more than have actually been declared dead, almost three weeks after the fire. And you heard that right, but let's read the whole thing. Over 2,400 kids are missing in Maui, but aren't being included in the government's official death toll. When massive fires began to ravage the island, says Johnson, back in early August, emergency management teams, sick, were nowhere to be found. And as the fires raged, at least 74 emergency management officials were attending an annual FEMA disaster meeting. How convenient. Just a quick hour and a half flight away on the island of Oahu. Top officials from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, you know the acronym, FEMA, and the Center for Octung Homeland Defense and Security, were preoccupied, it would seem, in the Pacific Partnership meeting, while one of the most devastating wildfires in U.S. history burned its way into and then consumed the town of Lahaina. But why, asked the story, are federal and state officials explicitly not talking about the 2,400 missing children in Lahaina? 
And I know, I know, we're getting used to that too, but for different reasons now, aren't we? You've heard this summary before, but I guess it does bear repeating here. The firestorm, they say, fueled by tropical storm force winds, was not taken seriously. No emergency alarms were sounded. You know, hey, I can't help but think maybe they were taking it seriously. It's just that what they take seriously is not exactly for the same reasons you'd think. Evacuation routes were blocked. Local Maui residents said that a police blockade actually prevented the people from leaving Front Street in Lahaina as the wildfire came in. And during that horrific conflagration, vehicles burned in the streets, boats that were 50 Yards out to sea burned, and people barely survived choking and burning in the Pacific Ocean's treacherous waters. In the aftermath, one could see droves of residents backed up on the roads that must have been blocked by billows of smoke and other barricades of fire and devastation, while the fires, plural, themselves took out more than 2,200 homes and displaced an estimated 4,500 people. And they don't say for sure, but that seems to be those that are still alive. As of August 21 this year, Maui County and the Maui PD have reported a death toll of only 115 people. But, notes the piece, and this is not really surprising, is it? The official reports are a sham. The FBI, Red Cross, and Maui Police have a missing persons list that contains about a 1,000 people, still unaccounted for. But even this official missing person list falls far short of the harsh reality that over 2,400 kids are reported missing in Maui. And the mayor of the city, Richard Bisson, has yet to report on this grave reality, while multiple hundreds of kids were left to burn in Lahaina, and the corporate press has yet to even address the chilling reality and the failure of the government's so-called emergency response. Part of the reason this is hard to cover up, Hawaii officials have been encouraging families in Lahaina to enroll their children in other public schools outside the burn zone. The four schools in Lahaina serve more than 3,000 students, but only about 400 from the burn area have reportedly enrolled in other public schools. Around 200 more have signed up for long-distance learning, and at least 2,400 are left unaccounted for in the public cesspools. These figures, says the piece, don't even account for children who are homeschooled in Lahaina, many of which are probably missing as well. Yeah, folks, one more time, lots and lots of questions, lots of smoke, but for the most part, officials don't seem to be in any real hurry at all to answer the important ones. Like, why put up a black curtain? Unless we already know the answer. Which leads me to a video that's also going viral on the web, taken from the same place, near Lahaina on Maui. You can probably guess the date. Good luck. Look at this. Holy shit, this is a nightmare. I don't know where he's going. Probably to block our street. They're going to fucking barbecue all these people down in Lahaina. We're all trapped down in here. They're blocking off all exits. And everyone is just stuck. Going in a circle in a fire pit. Changing gears now, but maybe not quite as much as you might think. Here's a story that could have been the lead before it became just one more spark in a wildfire of corruption. It's from Zero Hedge, and it concerns weaponized collusion. Why is it, they ask, that Jack Smith's team, remember that scumbag, huddled with what else? The Biden regime-controlled White House before the Trump indictment. While the regime repeatedly claims that their puppet Just Us Department has full autonomy, yeah, sure, just like the guy who can't even change his own diaper, a new report by the New York Post suggests otherwise. Weeks before special counsel sick Jack Smith brought charges against the elected president, Donald Trump, for allegedly mishandling 
classified documents, which he actually had the authority to declassify, by the way. One of his top aides met with the White House Counsel's Office. Who could have thought it? Raising serious concerns about coordinated legal efforts, even if they're not really legal at all, against the Biden Fuhrer's top political opponent going into the next rigged election. According to the report, Jay Bratt, one of Smith's minions since November 2022, took a meeting with the Whorehouse, I'm sorry, White House on March 31st of this year with Deputy Chief of Staff for the WH Council's office, Carolyn Saba, and the two were joined in the 10 a.m. meeting by FBI agent Danielle Ray. And nine weeks later, Trump was indicted by the regime's hatchet man. The 63-year-old Brad also met with, and isn't that a funny way to put it, the 63-year-old Brad also met with Sabe at the White House in November 2021 when Trump's legal team was in discussions with the National Archives over the return of those declassified presidential records from his Mar-a-Lago estate prior to the so-called formal investigation. And Brad had a third meeting with the uh, you-know-what house in September 21, this time with Catherine Riley, advisor to the White House Chief of Staff's office. But the logs offer no information about what was actually discussed at those meetings, and tell me why we're not surprised. Critics and legal experts, as if we still had any of those, questioned why Brett was taking meetings at all with the White House Counsel's Office while part of an active investigation of the likely opponent of the unelected fake president was still supposedly in progress. No, folks, what's in progress is what's been in progress. The proper word is coup. Then cover-up, consolidation of power, and execution of those that figure out what's going on. The New York Post story put it this way. There's no legitimate purpose for a line or DOJ guy to be meeting with the White House, except if it's coordinated by the highest levels, said former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, one-time top federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, now gone completely communist. And as Mark Levin has noted, this is a massive story, which is why it'll be ignored by the Democrat Party captive media. That said, he notes, Brett not only met with Biden's staff at the White House while supposedly investigating Donald Trump just weeks before Trump was charged, Brett is a senior DOJ official who insisted on securing a warrant and sending an FBI SWAT team to Mar-a-Lago. And Brett stands accused by Stanley Woodward, who represents Walt Nayud in the document case, of extorting him because he allegedly told Woodward that the judgeship he is seeking has a better chance if his client turns on Trump. I guess there just really aren't enough crooked judge positions still open in the swamp, folks. And furthermore, continues Mark Levin, I'm forced to ask, where the hell are Trump's lawyers? They ought to file a motion immediately seeking a court order for all this information, the things that he and others have been talking about, and they should make a big stink about this outrageous news. Because all of this not only creates the impression of a conflict of interest, gee, do you think, but a conflict of interest in fact. When asked if he thinks the White House and special counsel were coordinating together, Rudy Giuliani told the Post, you're damn right I do. Adding, what's happening is they've trashed every ethical rule that exists and have created a police state. Duh. It is, he said, the Biden state prosecutor and a Biden state police. Left-leaning and therefore almost unique constitutional lawyer and scholar Jonathan Turley of George Washington University told the outlet that the March meeting was particularly troublesome and added, quote, it raises serious obvious concerns about visits to the White House after Brad began his work with the special counsel. There is no reason, he said, why the Just Us Department, although I suspect he pronounced it wrong, should not be able to confirm whether this meeting was related to the ongoing investigation or concerns some other matter, said Turley. But hey, folks, I bet you most of us know the reason. 
which used to be why it was considered such a bad thing to have even an apparent conflict of interest. Now, collusion, bribery, and quid pro quos are funny, I guess. I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko. They would take action against a state prosecutor, and they didn't. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place our bought-and-paid-for shill. Ain't life grand. Here's another very much related story. Finally came out midweek that many of us have known about for a very long time. But it is nice to see more confirmation from more official sources. The Biden Fuhrer may have used pseudonyms. Gee, do you think? He doesn't have quite as many aliases as Barack Hussein, Barry Sotero, Barry Sabarco, Obama, at least officially. Like, you got to wonder, does Robert L. Peters have a social security number, too? But he sure had a whole bunch of email aliases. Turns out they were used in nearly 5,400 emails, electronic records, and documents while he was vice president, says a new bombshell letter actually released from the National Archives and Records Administration. The trove of communications was confirmed after the Southeastern Legal Foundation, or SLF, filed a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, connected to aliases allegedly used by the unelected fake president, including names like, you've heard some of these, Robin Ware, Robert L. Peters, and J.R.B. Ware. And by the way, this is actually the Daily Mail finally coming out with this one. Republicans, I say, have been demanding the release of these emails that could show, they believe, that the Biden Fuhrer used the names to discuss foreign business with his son and share information on countries where he was doing deals as the big guy. The White House has insisted that the Biden Fuhrer was, no, no, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, never in business with his son. And vice presidents and high-level government officials do that all the time. Don't worry your pretty little heads about it. And obviously it's okay that they need to be able to do certain things and have plausible deniability. That's what those emails are for, right? Because otherwise they might get a lot of spam emails like you peons out there. And they can't be bothered with that because they got more important bribes to t- uh, business to do. And at the time, see, this has been happening for a while, the Biden, I'm sorry, the O'Biden regime, the first one, the Obama administration, dismissed any criticism that these communications were actually secret because now they were archived. It's just that we didn't ever want these dots to be connected. But the sheer volume, says the Daily Mail of emails, raised questions about whether or not then-VP Biden broke the, quote, absolute wall, as he put it, that he claimed he maintained between the, quote, personal and the private and the government. How did he do it? Well, yeah, he used aliases for all the criminal stuff. Emails from Hunter's laptop also reveal that a number of business partners referred to Biden, and we knew this, as the big guy. Furthermore, staffers even used Biden's address, Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov, to send messages about meetings, including one with then-Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko. And Hunter was copied in on that one. Isn't that amazing? Let me say it again. Hey, this shouldn't surprise anybody. Remember, Hitlery had her own private email server, not even anywhere close to government buildings, that she used to conduct illegal business. And the FBI even helped her deep-six all the records, destroy the disk drives, and make darn sure that that never, ever got entered into evidence anywhere. So what's the big deal? Biden just wasn't quite as smart about it. After all, this is the idiot who kept confidential documents in his garage next to his prized Corvette. 
Can you imagine the field a real prosecutor would have if they weren't petrified of this crime syndicate? Remember how Jim Comey put it? Yep, he doesn't know a prosecutor anywhere that's uh, stupid enough to go after Hitler. I guess even the same thing applies to the Biden Fuhrer now. Said the Southeastern Legal Foundation... These documents might potentially demonstrate instances where the Biden Fuhrer, quote, forwarded government information and discussed government matters with his son, Hunter Biden, together with other individuals. And all too often, they added, public officials abused their power, who could have thought it, by using it for personal or political benefit. And when they do, many seek to hide it. Hey, that's how you get to be an unelected president, some of us might suggest. The only way they continue to preserve government integrity. Nope, way too late for that, folks. Is for the NARA, that's the National Archives, to release Biden's nearly 5,400 emails to SLF and thus the public. Because, say it with me, folks, the public deserves to know what's in them. Well, we already know. The problem is that if the NARA was to release them, somebody might actually think there should be somebody held accountable for all the incredible level of criminality, election theft, and, yeah, we're seeing it, outright treason that's been going on since and obviously was going on long before they rigged even the 2020 election. There are some other cute revelations, even in the Daily Mail summary here. One email from that chief staffer, John Flynn, that was sent to Joe, a.k.a. Robert Peters, from May 2016, which was also CC to Hunter, schedules a, quote, 845 prep for a 9 a.m. phone call to uh, President Poroshenko, who was then Ukrainian president. And think about it, folks. Isn't this ironic? The real elected president, Donald Trump, was impeached for a hell of a lot less than that, because obviously he knew this back then. And this was during the time that Hunter was being paid a little over 83 grand a month to sit on the board of that corrupt Ukrainian business firm, Burisma, for which the big guy later made blankety-blank sure that there was no actual prosecution going to take place, and he had a billion-dollar quid pro quo to get the guy who was trying, Victor Shokin, fired back in March 2016. And Biden was so proud of that quid pro quo that he even joked about it and got a laugh for it. Oh, son of a... <laughs> got fired. Ha ha! Isn't it funny how criminal we can be and get away with it? And this is funny too. State Department officials, says the Daily Mail, are also said to have attempted to raise concerns directly with the corrupt vice president about Hunter's involvement with Burisma, but those complaints were rebuffed. Now here, folks, I gotta pause for a second. You can almost hear that conversation, can't you? Come on, Joe, you know better than that. At least have the guy turn off the camera when he's taking the bribes, doing a little line of coke with the hookers, for crying out loud. And furthermore, there was another forwarded email from Joe Biden via one of those aliases that included then-Deputy Secretary of State and now current corrupt Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. But wait, there is still more. By Friday, the New York Post was reporting that records released by that same agency, the National Archives, this time in response to a FOIA request from AFL, America First Legal, showed that over a thousand emails were exchanged between Hunter Biden's firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners, and guess who? The big guy who said he never, ever talked business with the crackhead son. I guess it really must be great to have the FBI and Merrick Garland covering up your crimes. There is, of course, lots, lots more, but I guess you'd have to argue they all pale when it comes to massive bribery, shameless influence peddling, and ends in treason. 
Let's close with just one more example of what Big Brother really wants to accomplish, courtesy of TGP and Jim Hoft. A Virginia Amish farmer's livelihood is on the line following Big Brother having raided and seized his property. The Fisher family farm, it begins, a source of healthy food, and there's the problem, folks, among other things, for local consumers in Virginia has been raided by the VDAX, the Virginia Department of Achtung Agriculture und Consumer Services. Samuel B. Fisher, who runs Golden Valley Farms, lost his livestock and meat processing facility, and they don't want you to have either of those, don't you know, as the state condemned and seized his property, resulting in not just loss of income, but a loss of trust, do you think, in a community that prides itself on independence and sustainable farming, which are wonderful things and very much politically correct, unless somebody actually does them in a way that is, uh uh-oh, verboten to even learn about. Golden Valley Farms, it says, has been serving around 500 consumers through its farm membership program and that sounds like they're trying to stay clear of big brother's control and they needed to be taught a lesson their website gives us another clue because they produce 100 percent grass-fed raw milk from goats and cows and they're organic non-gmo and soy free ain't it funny how they want to push you to take the poison poke but protect you from raw milk they seized and dumped thousands of dollars worth of his milk His meat has been tagged administrative detention, and it leaves him unable to sell or even consume what he produces. And don't you know it, they don't want anybody to have anything even remotely like this. Arguably, Big Brother would rather you starve, and we'll have more right after the bottom of the hour break. We're killing our babies before they are born. Stand up and be kind and come and sound the alarm. Are you one of God's children, but nothing but the devil's Welcome back, folks, to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am Mark Call, and as the intro music might suggest, we're going to kick this one off with the good, the bad, and the ugly today because, hey, sometimes it's just what you got to do. Even if the good is often a bit harder to find, this one comes from the Gateway Pundit about a man who was arrested and charged with felony terrorism. What else? He's probably read the Constitution back in March 2020 for posting a COVID joke on his two Facebook page. It was an obvious joke, says the piece from the Gateway Pundit. It even referenced World War Z, a 2013 Brad Pitt movie. And let me quote it for you. Share, 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 it says in all caps. Just in, Rapides Parish Sheriff's Office have issued the order that if deputies come into contact with the infected, shoot on sight. Lord have mercy on us all. And it's got some hashtags, including, we need you Brad Pitt. Well, can you guess what happened? Within an hour, a dozen SWAT officers in bulletproof vests from that same Rapides Parish Sheriff's Office showed up to Bailey's Alexandria, Louisiana home and arrested him. We don't need no stinking warrant. He was charged with felony terrorism for posting a joke on to Facebook, then released on a $1,200 bond, but the DA decided how nice of them not to persecute him or uh, prosecute him. Still, the news of the arrest upended his life, so he decided eventually he ought to pursue legal action against that crooked sheriff. Okay, well, maybe that's not fair, so let me rephrase. 
Is he crooked or just an idiot? In September 2020, Bailey filed a lawsuit accusing Detective Randall Isles and Sheriff Mark Wood of violating both his First and Fourth Amendment rights. Almost two full years later, July 2022, U.S. District Judge for the Western District of Louisiana, David Joseph, dismissed Waylon Bailey's claims and ruled that the sheriff was protected under qualified immunity, which shields government officials from any crimes they commit unless it can be proven that they actually violated the Constitution which ironically was kind of the point of the lawsuit. So Bailey appealed the judge's decision, and on Friday, the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that his COVID joke was indeed protected speech under the First Amendment, saying, quote, the Post did not direct any person or group to take any unlawful action immediately or in the near future, wrote the judges, according to the WAPO, and at worst, his joke was in poor taste, but it cannot be read as intentionally directed to incitement. And the appellate judges ruled that the detective had no right to arrest Bailey, which back when we were a free country folks should have been obvious to even the most vapid law enforcement officer. Oh, the bitter irony of those words. So the good news? A U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has actually realized that there is a First Amendment and that it actually, sometimes anyway, still applies to speech. So they said Bailey can continue pursuing legal action against the uh, idiotic, crooked, about constitutionally ignorant and therefore unfit to serve sheriff's office and its employees, said the court. On next then to the unquestionably bad, the crooked, anti-constitutional, no doubt about it, this fella isn't ignorant, folks, he's just plain evil, Merrick Garland and the Department of Just Us has told the House Judiciary Chairman, Jim Jordan, that his subpoenas for two of the crooked, oh, I said it again, FBI agents involved in the bogus cover-up masquerading as an investigation into Hunter Biden cannot be enforced due to, oh, you know it, don't you, an ongoing investigation, and it'll be ongoing as long as it needs to. Last week, House Republicans subpoenaed FBI Special Agents Thomas Sabachinsky and Raisha Hawley to compel testimony about political interference and preferential treatment. Who could have thought it in the Hunter Biden not investigation? And Garland's DOJ has said that those subpoenas can't be enforced because some animals are more equal than others. And just what are you going to do about it, Jim? Quote, the subpoenas issued by the committee prohibit the attendance of agency counsel at appearances by two FBI employees where the committee has indicated it'll ask questions regarding information. Who could have imagined that the Congress would ask questions, how dare they, that they learned within the scope of their official duties, including regarding ongoing criminal investigations, said Carlos Uriarte, DOJ, Assistant Attorney General. And if that wasn't bad enough, how's this for adding insult to injuries? The subpoenas lack legal effect and cannot be (laughs) constitutionally enforced. Because let me put it as kindly as I can. If you haven't figured it out yet, folks, the Constitution got nothing to do with the crap that happens there in the swamp and what they're getting away with. Oh, yeah. And the DOJ said it's also premature because they're open to continuing discussions with Jordan. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Obviously, folks, it can't be obstruction of justice when the obstructionists decide what the word justice means. But let's be honest. We knew the DOJ was bad. Bad of the ball. Bad of the ball. So, no, we really can't claim that their anti-constitutional obstructionism is anything other than what we had every right and uh, every reason to expect. So maybe we need to turn to late-night TV for the ugly, cringeworthy even, 
far left late night TV host Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver, who are teaming up to launch a new podcast because they've been off the air since the beginning of the writer strike in Hollywood. Not that anyone's noticed. And as Mike Lachance points out for TGP, you got to figure it's killing these scumbags that they're unable to go on TV every night and offer their latest woke garbage take on politics and political correctness and grooming kids and submitting to Big Brother, whether it's about your mask or your Zyklon B injection. In short, a whole lot of asinine things that most people don't pay any attention to anymore because they recognize it for what it is. Yeah, downright ugly. And you know what? That's all the time this thing deserves. But there is one more story I'm going to put in the ugly category, courtesy of a group that's good at finding that, the O'Keefe Media Group. Once upon a time, they had a different name, but that's been absconded with now. That, too, is ugly. No more Veritas. They released 20 minutes of police body cam on Wednesday showing New York school board officials calling the police on any citizens that they don't like because they look, are you sitting down, folks, Trumpish. Said O'Keefe, quote, the police colluded with school officials to scan license plates of school board meeting attendees who looked different. Huh. Uh, come to think of it, and I gotta ask the question, does that make them Trumpophobes? Magophobes? Americaphobes? Well, certainly some kind of bigot anyway. The O'Keefe Media Group got the recordings through FOIA requests. And this is the first in a series of them they're gonna release, said James O'Keefe. But here's what school board officials and so-called police really think of people who look Trumpish when they forget that their own body cameras are ratting them out. On August the 8th, Livingston school board officials called the police on citizens because they didn't recognize them, saying, quote, they're different looking. Um, they look Trumpish. They look a little scary, unquote, said Tony McLaughlin, executive assistant to the superintendent to the uh, police officer. They're different looking. Some, they look Trumpish. <laughs> and to be like, they just, they look a little scary. Some of them, not, they just look, they don't look like Levinson. So like I, an Antifa, not like an Antifa, but some along those that's lines. That's exactly or, what we're thinking. I think there's more like intimidating. Oh, no, he didn't really mean that, because Antifa wears black masks, and they really are scary. They might burn down police stations, as a matter of fact, and that's okay. We don't call the cops against those folks, because we don't want to be homophobic or transphobic or any other kind of phobic, unless maybe it's magophobic. That's okay. And now that we're up to the ugly category, folks, I've got to just go to a bunch of headlines to help bring home that point. It begins, says the first one from Jim Hoft and the Gateway Pundit, anti-white hate group is met with Twitter, or now X, to set policy for them on hate speech. What do you bet Elon Musk is going to cave? Then there's this one. Tell me something we didn't know. Hunter Biden flew with the big guy, Joe, on numerous Air Force Two flights to no less than 13 different countries. And they did so several times, and they hid this from the public. It's ugly, but didn't we know that? In the swamp, radical climate activists are continuing to terrorize the District of Criminals. They're blocking roadways, gluing their hands to the road, and ruining museums while dressed as dinosaurs. It's ugly, but what else is new? And if they just confined their terrorism to the swamp, maybe the rest of the country would quit caring about it and recover. From the continuing Michigan investigation, suspicious spikes have been documented in Michigan voter registrations across the entire state. And they occurred on the very same day, who could have thought it, as the 2020 election. But, and this is truly ugly, far-left People's Republic of Michigan, Soros-loving Attorney General Dana Nessel says, Say it with me, folks, there was no serious voter fraud, and maybe that's because they did it, in the 2020 election. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. Move along. Move along. 
And this next ugly one comes from down under, but it's certainly headed to a theater or a public-private partner bank near you. From the year 2025, has announced Bank Australia, they will no longer allow funding to people to buy new cars that run on fossil fuels. But they will have a very nice ESG score. Aren't you? You will not be allowed to buy or sell unless you do too. Here's one. California Chop Doc. Dr. Gary Motiki in a recent video said that he believes the Biden Fuhrer, or at least the guy impersonating him, has had, quote, a significant amount of plastic surgery done throughout his career. He's famous for detailing various celebrity alleged operations, said the New York Post. And in a TikTok clip entitled, Is the Biden Fuhrer, quote, addicted to plastic surgery? The surgeon said that his unnatural hairline and the way that the hair was grafted in are telltale indicators of older hair transplant techniques. He also criticized other aspects of the Fuhrer's appearance, including his pixie ears. I'll come back to that forehead and neck, as well as changing eye shape, all of which indicate a facelift, brow lifts, touch-up, Botox, fillers, and probably a hundred grand worth of uh, fix-up work. But hey, folks, here's the question. Given the ear discrepancies that most of us are familiar with, you got to wonder how much of that plastic surgery was done on him and how much on the body doubles. Anyway, you slice it, though, pun intended, it's ugly. Oh, yeah, and as Lori Wickenhauser concludes for the Western Journal, he's not the only doctor that's had some questions about Biden's plastic surgeries and appearance, but other docs are far more concerned with the fake president's mental issues. And they're, of course, not alone. And finally, an item that fits into all three of those categories, the good, the bad, and the ugly, courtesy of the Nebraska governor, Republican Jim Pellin, who signed an executive order on Wednesday establishing what he called a woman's bill of rights and defining... As if we needed it, but I guess we do, and that's ugly. The biological differences between males and females. And the order, it says, provides clarity and protection for single-sex spaces and sports. Executive Order 23-16 specifically defines the terms boy, girl, man, and woman. And isn't it ugly that we even need to talk about that? And includes biological descriptions, as if people over the age of three actually still needed it, to clarify any inconsistencies in policy initiatives and court rulings, said Governor Pillen. It's just common sense. Men do not belong in women's only spaces. And he said, as governor, it's my duty to protect our kids and women's athletics, which means providing single sex spaces for women's sports, bathrooms and changing rooms. And it said, among other things, that, quote, a person's biological sex is defined at birth and it gives the reasons for defining a person's biological sex and even establishes some guidelines for reporting of data. And I'll suggest again, it's not only bad, but downright ugly, that um, people can't even figure this stuff out anymore because of all the other ugly that's been taught for so long in the public indoctrination centers or uh, cesspools. Oh, and finally, one more that also checks all three of the good, the bad, the ugly boxes. State Representative in Oklahoma, Justin Humphrey from District 19 in Pushmataha County, Oklahoma, has called for a thorough investigation into allegations of what else? Because their very existence is one of these constitutional and civil rights violations by the Bureau of Aktung, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. 
The allegations, says Jim Hoff for the Gateway Pundit, were brought forward by a 52-year-old high school history teacher, Baptist pastor, and part-time gun dealer, Russell Fincher, who claims that ATF agents employed, what else, intimidation tactics and coercion to force him into surrendering his federal firearms license. He has held an FFL, or Federal Firearms License, for three years and has mostly dealt with firearms at gun shows. And the ordeal began, he says, with a seemingly innocuous call, hey, hint, folks, they never are, from the ATF in April, asking for permission, as if they needed it, right, to inspect his home-based gun business. The man willingly agreed, that was mistake number two, and welcomed two ATF inspectors who photographed some of his 4473 forms, that's called prior restraint, where the peons have to ask permission from Big Brother to buy something that was once called their constitutionally protected God-given right. And they used their cell phones, said Finch, to snag that gun registration information, a practice he later discovered is illegal but obviously common. And come on, folks, it's what they do. They literally wouldn't have a job if the Second Amendment still existed. Then on June 16, 2023, as he and his son were preparing to leave for a gun show in Tulsa, they were unexpectedly confronted by a massive show of force when seven vehicles carrying a dozen ATF agents armed with what else? AR-15s that you peons won't be allowed to have for much longer and dressed in tactical gear raided Fincher's Clayton home. And the intimidating display culminated in Fincher being handcuffed on his deck while surrounded by the ahem agents. And their aggressive behavior, he said, left him and his son traumatized. I love it when a plan comes together. It was like the Trump raid, he said. They called me out onto my deck and handcuffed me. My son was there, saw the whole thing. He's 13 years old, said Fincher to Lee Williams, a reporter for The Gun Writer. They held me on the porch for about an hour. I was surrounded by agents. One by one, they yelled at me about what I was doing. I decided if they were going to beat me up over every little thing, I'm done. As soon as I said, if you want my FFL, you can have it, one of the agents immediately pulled out a piece of paper and said, well, then sign here. And he made three copies in case I screwed one up. It was exactly what they wanted. He said, I was shocked. And that was probably his final mistake, folks, to be shocked, that is. During the raid, ATF agents pressured Fincher to terminate his FFL. They presented him with pre-prepared termination documents and then coerced him at, quote, gunpoint into signing them using the threat of further action against him and his firearms-dealing acquaintances. And after they were done, they ran off with a Colt Commander, five Glocks, and a pristine AK, Polytech pre-band machine underfolder, worth thousands of dollars, along with a whole bunch of other booty. So I guess all in all, it was a good haul for them. They took more than 50 of my personal guns, said Fincher. I asked why. They said they were evidence. I'd estimate, he said, they took between fifty and $60,000 worth of guns. And the gun writer has almost two pages worth of his uh, stuff that this guy is no longer allowed, it would seem, to even keep, much less bear. There's a moral here, folks, and sadly the vast majority of Americans aren't about to get it until, just like Russell Fincher, it's way too late. But simply... You never, ever ask for permission to exercise a God-given, constitutionally protected right. And we'll follow that up with what I'll suggest is an obviously related piece, this time concerning another three-letter agency that also seems to hate the truth almost as much as they do the Constitution for these United States. And it comes from LeoHoman.com about the increasing weaponization and militarization of various federal government three-letter agencies, while Congress and the states, he says, sit back and do what we've gotten used to. Nothing. The question? 
Why is the IRS this time buying 40 caliber submachine guns? You know, things you peons still aren't allowed to have without Big Brother's permission. And even then, they may just come and decide to take them away. And if you get in the way of that... They might just kill you, as too many have found out over the years. When the corporate media, he begins, asks the IRS why they needed automatic weapons, millions of rounds of ammunition, and heavily armed staffers trained in the use of force, they said it was for administrative reasons. But now we know, he says, that the globalists aren't just arming the IRS, along with just about every other TLA or three-letter federal agency, they're militarizing these agencies to the hilt with military-grade weapons not available to American citizens. Why, for instance, would the IRS need armored vehicles, too? Things like flashbang grenades loaded with tear gas and the aforementioned 40 caliber submachine guns. They've been arming up, he notes, for at least 10 years. At the end of 2017, the IRS already had almost 4,500 firearms and over 5 million rounds of ammunition in its weapons cache, according to an August 8, 2022 Forbes article entitled Inflation Reduction Act Unleashes a Tougher IRS. And you can bet they've got a lot more than that now stored up six years later come 2023. And by the way, folks, a lot of these rounds, jacketed hollow points, and so forth. When you have them, the media calls them cop killer bullets. They don't call them citizen killer bullets, though. And they really don't care that citizens buy them to use against criminals breaking into their house. But ironically and unreported, these same rounds are the kind of things that the Geneva Convention actually forbids in warfare, but not the kind of warfare that the TLAs have planned for the American citizenry. And uh, arguably, that's another action that falls under the category of that word treason. You can read Article 3, Section 3 of the Constitution if you're curious about that. He goes on to quote the Forbes piece saying, The Schumer Mansion tax bill, known as the Inflation Reduction Act, what a disgusting lie, raises taxes and will give the IRS billions to go into what the Wall Street Journal called beast mode. The IRS continues homing, has been stepping up their purchases of guns and ammo even more over the last couple of years, gobbling up nearly 700 grand in ammo in the year 2022 alone. And these bulk purchases prompted Representatives Matt Gates of Florida and Jeff Duncan of South Carolina to introduce the uh, Disarm the IRS Act and prohibit the IRS from buying mo, mo, mo ammo. Of course, the bill was dead on arrival because of the uh, Uniparty. As you know, both wings of that same evil bird of prey flap in unison, and what they have in common is they hate Americans, and especially their God-given, once-constitutionally protected rights. But the IRS, he notes, is not alone in this militarization. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has also purchased hundreds of forty caliber submachine guns for the purpose of making raids on... Well, what else? Independent food producers, because we've got a famine to push, don't you know? They have a special hatred for the Amish, he suggests, as if it wasn't pretty much obvious. And regular listeners here can no doubt understand exactly what that means. Other TLAs that are stocking up on citizen killer rounds include the Small Business Administration, which has made bulk purchases of guns and ammo, along with HHS. (laughs) And don't think for a second that stands for Health and Human Services. And it begs the obvious question, is the FedGov preparing for an all-out war against Americans? To which all I can add, folks, as a commentary is, duh, who dare to push back against the, well, fill in the blank, but he starts with the government media-approved messaging on pandemics, mask-wearing, taking your Zyklon B injection like a good little slave, and so forth. How about our involvement in perpetual foreign wars and other globalist adventurism? Hey, how about their intent to starve you or freeze you out, cut off your power, your ability to have natural gas? or anything that might keep you warm or prevent you from starving to death. Oh, and let's not forget, maybe they intend to burn you out, as the people of Maui have learned uh, the very hard way.
The more you find out about that, folks, the more you recognize that if they really didn't put up that black Biden blackout curtain around it and Americans saw what was done to fellow Americans there, how many bodies have literally been reduced to nothing but ash. And notice they're still not telling you the truth about the death totals, much less the incompetence or arguably far worse that caused the fires. They probably realize why it is they want you disarmed and fast. I saw one official down there spouting a whole bunch of BS about why they needed that blackout curtain because of cultural sensitivity. What an unmitigated, bald-faced crock. They're worried about cultural sensitivity, all right. If the people there figured out what had been done to them, they'd be madder than hell and probably want blood. Back to Leo Homan, you get the sense that maybe, just maybe, enough of us are starting to wake up that the globalists are preparing to silence us once and for all. And the only way to complete that task, obviously, is by force. And if it slips that we know what they intend to do to us, they're going to need to make more and more examples of more and more conservatives, Bible believers, right-wingers, and of course, say it with me, folks, domestic terrorist extremists. The obvious goal going forward, of course, is to criminalize all speech that contradicts the narrative, the officially approved PC fact-check word from on high from the Ministry of Truth. And the globalist hope, he says, is to get conservatives to turn on each other, turn in someone else, and save your own skin from the reign of terror. Maybe even get a month's worth of food once the famine gets rolling. Meanwhile, the indictments in Georgia and Michigan have sent the intended chilling message. But the deep state is moving on multiple fronts. They're also arresting pro-life protesters and throwing the book at them under the anti-constitutional, incredibly corrupt FACE Act. Last week, five abortion protesters were sentenced to 10 years or more in prison for peacefully praying and counseling women outside of an abortion clinic. Your host can't help but point out if they'd had a rainbow flag, they could have gotten away with burning down a police station. And the January 6th pogrom and gulags completes the message. Protest of any kind against the deep state will no longer be tolerated. But it gets worse. In the month of August alone, says Homan, four Americans had their homes broken into in the pre-dawn hours by SWAT teams from the FBI. And in every case, the suspect was executed in cold blood. And most of them, folks, were either harmless and old, obese or disabled veterans. And let me summarize it this way, folks. Big Brother's Gestapo is making a forthright statement. Says Leo Homan, I can see a day, perhaps sooner than we think, when political dissidents are simply going to disappear. No one will know what happened to them as they vanish into the gulag. Or maybe, as your host, as in the case of Maui, they just turn into ash and are never seen again or heard from or even put on a dead list. The situation, he concludes, is growing more and more troubling by the day, almost by the hour. And the best way to stop it and the trend is for more and more people to speak out more boldly than ever. Yep, the Bible says it. Do not keep silent. When we know what's happening and people's lives are at stake, we have an obligation to speak up. And that admonition seems to go even beyond the advice of the founders, that there comes a time to withdraw your consent.